0: 2 Timothy chapter number 4, I want to begin reading in verse number 9. Most of you are familiar that this book, obviously, it was not written by Timothy, but to Timothy, the young pastor that uh, God was using in a mighty way. And the aged Apostle Paul, as he sits in a prison cell, writes this letter of encouragement and exhortation. I was uh, reading and doing some studying through this passage and I believe it's in the book of 2 Timothy that uh, Paul uses the word charge six different times. Now, that's a lot of times to use that particular word in one book, charge. You don't hear that word a lot in the Word of God, but six times he uses it, and he's trying to stress the responsibility that young Timothy has in the work of the Lord. He gives him examples of God's faithfulness, and he gives him warnings of the devil's treachery, And uh, he goes all through this little book, this personal, personal letter, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, giving this young preacher things that will help him in ministry. One of these testimonies that he gives is in verse number 9. We begin there, and uh, this may not be really what you're expecting tonight. There's a lot of names given in these few verses. But there's a few thoughts that I want you to gather tonight now, I want you to listen carefully. Paul writing says, "...do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, crescents to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry." Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. I want you to take notice of this little word used here, notwithstanding. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I want to read just the first portion of that verse again. Paul says, notwithstanding... The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Before we pray, can I say how good it is tonight to have a God that stands with us? I understand that we ought to stand with Him, and and I understand the implications of those differences. But Paul says, the Lord stood with me. When I was in a dark place, the Lord stood with me. So tonight I want us to preach for just a few moments on the idea that the Lord stood with me and the encouraging concept that no matter what we may be in, we have a God that will never leave us nor forsake us. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for this evening. Thank You for this time. Now, God, I would ask You that You would help me, Lord, and give me the unction and power that's needed in the preaching of Your Word. Father, my my heart's belief tonight is that... a This group of people that have gathered here on a Wednesday evening when they could have been anywhere else in the world, that they're hungry for Your Word. So, Father, help me, Lord, to be an empty vessel as You feed them. Father, I pray that You would meet each heart's need and do what only You know needs to be done. Help me to decrease, Lord, that You might increase and help it to be all done for Your glory and for Your honor. We love You tonight, Lord, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I had you take special notice of the little word, notwithstanding. I say that, it's probably on the bigger side of words. But it's it's a word that we tend to gloss over as we read the Word of God. Let me say that we ought not to gloss over any portion of the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, all of it. And what Paul is summing up with this little word, notwithstanding, as he talks about the difficulties and trials, the temptations and the tribulation, the things that he's endured, Paul says, notwithstanding all these things, in other words, regardless of these things, uh, in spite of these things, and if I know the Lord, sometimes I'd say, to spite these things, God has stood with me. As Paul stands and writes these words, He's in a place that not many people would stand with Him. Can I say that if you serve God long enough, you're going to get into some places where not many people are going to stand with you. There's places that it's easy to take a stand. It's easy to take a stand in the church house. And I think it's one of the great dangers that pastors and preachers face is that we many times stand and take a take a stand and are a witness for Jesus Christ in a place that is receptive. And we have to be very cautious lest we get comfortable to the degree that we're not willing to take a stand in a place of hostility. But the truth is, when Paul's writing this, he's writing it in a prison cell. He's not under the house arrest that we are familiar with, but rather in an actual dungeon. He's in a place of filth and a place of frustration. And if I could say that in Paul, in his darkest hours, when he looked around and tried to take inventory of who was with him, who would be with him, and who had been with him, Paul even excludes the faithful partner that Luke is when he says in verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Can I ask you something tonight? Would you be willing to stand for Jesus Christ if you had to stand alone? Would you be willing to stand for Him if it meant losing family and friends? Would you be willing to stand for Him if it meant the derision of those that are around you? Now, it's easy to stand when everybody wants you to stand. It's easy to stand when everybody's approving of your stand. But my friend, when you get in a place where it will bring you no earthly benefit to take a stand for Jesus Christ... That's when your character and devotion is measured. Bob Jones, Sr. used to say that character is measured by what it takes to stop a man. And the sad truth is in this day of see in Christianity, many of us, it doesn't take much to stop us. But when we read concerning Paul's life, and I like this, Paul says, I was willing to stand when no man was willing to stand. But I found that though no man was willing to stand... There was one that stood with me. You and I, brethren, are never alone. Contemplate that. If you can soak that into your soul, it will change your life. We're never alone. We ever have the watchful eye of an Almighty God. We ever have the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. We always have God with us. He's with us at all times. He said of the Holy Ghost, our Lord and Savior said of the Holy Ghost, that He would be in us and He would never leave us. The book of Hebrews says concerning God, let your conversation be without covetousness. For as much as it is written, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm saying tonight that regardless of your situation, you have a Savior that stands with you. What does it mean for Him to stand with us? It denotes, of course, His presence. It denotes His support. It denotes His approval. It denotes that He is there in power and in presence and in comfort in our lives. Isn't it funny we feel so lonely sometimes? And I'm not saying that to you, I'm saying that to us tonight. Isn't it funny we feel so lonely sometimes? And I know it's easy to get to feeling that way when the one person that really matters is with us at all times. I want us to notice a few scenarios in this passage that Paul speaks of, and he says that in these times the Lord stood with him. When no one else did, the Lord stood with him. And I want you to look with me at verse number 10. Verse number 10, one of the more familiar verses, I think, in the book of Second Timothy. Uh, you can't wear out a portion of the Word of God, but if you could, this would be worn out. It's been preached on in a vast amount of ways and times and manners. But he says concerning a young man by the name of Demas, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Now, most people stop there. But can I say that when you when you lose someone that you love, now, it hurts to lose someone that you love because they've turned their back on you. But can I say that it, it hurts to lose someone you love no matter why you lose them? Everybody focuses on Demas in this verse. And I understand that. And in fact, we're going to shift our focus there in a moment. But when Paul is talking about the absence in his life of these men, he doesn't just talk about Demas, but he talks about other men. Crescens to Galatia. Did Crescens forsake him? We don't know. Did he leave him having loved this present world? We don't know. Titus unto Dalmatia. We almost know conclusively that Titus did not enter a period like this. But he says in verse 11, only Luke is with me. On and on we could go concerning the men in Paul's life that he once knew, that once prayed with him, that once served with him, that once worked with him, that once comforted him. But now as he sits in this prison cell and looks across the room, only faithful Luke is with him. Everyone else has run and fled. They've all jumped ship. They've all gone. And yet, when we get down to verse number 17, Paul says, "...notwithstanding." I believe that in times of desertion, the Lord stands with us. You know, I wish I could say we're never going to have people turn our back on us, but that's just not the reality of life. There's going to be times, and maybe it's intrinsic in being a pastor. In fact, can I share a pastor's heart with you for a moment? Can I say that regardless of the reason a person may leave the fellowship of Walridge Baptist Church, it still hurts a pastor's heart. We've had people leave uh, in the midst of discord. That breaks your heart. We've had people leave dissatisfied. That breaks your heart. We've had people leave because God called them away elsewhere, and it still breaks your heart. It hurts to let people go. But Paul says that in the midst of this, I found out that when everyone left me, the Lord never left me. Can I tell you that there's times when your mother and father will forsake you? That's what the psalmist says. He said, but the Lord held me up. You probably have friends in your life. And I, I was kindly joking with uh, with George and Jane before the service about Bobby Jean that had passed away. And, and you know, Jane said, well, you know, we were out of town. We, we couldn't make it, and I, I just hated to. And I said, well, you know, Jane, when you get as old as George is... <laughs> You just get to a place where it's unavoidable sometimes. Even the natural course of life demands that we be parted with those that we love. And and, and can I just trample upon your patience and into your mindset for a moment and say, there may have been some times in your life, and there's probably been times in my life when we've felt deserted, when we've felt as though those that we've depended on have walked away Those that we should be able to depend on will not lend a hand. We feel as though we are alone in the world. It happens to those that we have served with. Listen to what Paul says concerning Demas in Philemon, uh, verse number 24. He's listing a name of people that are encouragements to him. And he says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The sad truth is, Many times people that you've served God with, you find are no longer serving God. Can I say there's many casualties in the ministry? There's many people, and I'm sure you can think of people and name people that at one time you stood side by side with and served God with that are no longer serving God. Let me just make it as blunt as I can. If we're serving God for other people, we won't be when they're not. But until we make up our mind that we're in this thing for Jesus Christ, we're never going to find any faithfulness. We're never going to find any stability or any steadfastness. Demas was a man that had served God with Paul. We do not know the capacity of it. And in fact, there's only three times that Demas' name is mentioned. And we've read two of them already and we'll read another one here in a moment. But we do not know the history between Paul and Demas except to say that at one time in Paul's life, when he listed the men that were helped to him, when he listed the people that were serving God with him and fighting in the battle with him, he named off Demas. And yet there came a time when even somebody that served God walked away from this aged apostle. Let me, let me give this as a as a sober warning to us all. And this includes the pastor and everyone. Do you know there ain't a one of us that's too good to get out on God? I don't care who you are. Hey, I've seen preachers wake up one day and say, I'm done with it, sit their Bible down, turn away, and walk out on God. We've seen uh, various places of ministry, and I don't care what you do for Jesus Christ, understand that you could always walk away from it, but for the grace of God. You're not above it, nor am I. Nor am I. Demas was a man that was with Paul in his service. But can I say, too, that Demas was a man that was with Paul in his struggles. Listen to what it says. The, the other mention of Demas in the Word of God, in the book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, he's writing from a prison cell. And he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. I don't know if, if this ever happens to you, but it happens to me all the time. I'll be sitting there uh, on the phone with someone, and uh, they'll say, be sure and tell so-and-so that I said hello. And I'm always kind of thinking to myself, you know, you just said that loud enough that they heard you, right? Amen. But they'll say, be sure and tell so-and-so that I said hello. And I'll say, well, you know, whoever's with me, so-and-so said hello. And they'll say, oh, okay, wonderful, wonderful. Tell them I said hello, and so on and so forth. And we'll get off the phone, and the person that had originally said it will look at me and say, what'd they say? <laughs> well, they said they hate you. I don't know why they said that, but that's what they said, Amen. But we always tend to do that. But do you know why we do that? Because typically, if you're offering a greeting on someone's behalf, it's because they're with you. As Paul said in a prison cell, I believe there was a time when Demas was his companion in tribulation. And I don't know about you, I, I do know there were times in Paul's life when the officials that would allow someone to come in and to minister unto him. But maybe it's just my fanciful imagination... But I kind of tend to believe that if Demas wanted to greet him, he could have greeted him himself except for one problem. I think Demas was in prison with him. I think Demas was incarcerated along with Paul. And that tells me something, neighbor. If Paul still had fellowship with Demas, it probably stands to reason that Demas had done something worthy of being imprisoned for the cause of Christ. That tells me that Demas was a man that had struggled to serve God. I do not know. my, My personal belief is that Demas was a man that was not born again. You don't have to believe that. That's my personal belief. The Bible says if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the Bible says of Demas that when he forsook Paul, he loved this present world. He went to Thessalonica, a place of decadence and modern culture. I believe that he got lured away from the work of God. But I don't want us as much to focus on him as I do on Paul. And imagine how Paul must have felt. And if Paul's experience was anything like the common pastor's, this was probably not the first time nor the last that Paul would experience this difficulty. Paul had probably had people leave him before, and there were probably going to be times when people would leave him again. But still it pained him. Still he ate. We understand that people being absent in our life is a reality of life, but it's still a difficult thing. But I want to tell you tonight that in the midst of this, Paul said, when Demas walked away, Jesus Christ stayed. When Crescens went to Galatia, Christ stayed. When Titus went to Dalmatia, Christ stayed. Luke is with me now, but there was a time when he says in verse number 16 that no man stood with me. I do not know where Luke was, but wherever it was, it was not with Paul. But Paul says in the midst of all of it, Christ did stick with me. I don't care who has turned their back on you. Christ is not. We have a tendency sometimes to feel like when we get hurt. How many of you have been hurt before? Oh, a few of us. We have a tendency to feel as though God is going to do us like those that have hurt us have. We have a tendency to assume that God's allowing of this hurt into our life is the direct result of some disobedience on our part or some disconcern on His part. But can I say that though God allow these things in our life, many times it's so that we'll recognize His presence. I tend to believe Paul wouldn't have written this if some man had stood with him. Now, you don't have to believe that tonight, church, but I do. I believe what occasioned this verse and these statements was the desertion that he experienced. You know what that tells me? That tells me when men forsook Paul, his faith grew stronger. It tells me that when men left his presence, the Lord of glory filled his presence. It tells me that when he went through these experiences, it made him keenly aware of the presence of God. And can I say like the preacher of old, it's not till you've got nothing that you realize what really matters. It's not till Christ is your only thing that He becomes your everything. And through this experience, Paul learned that in times of desertion, the Lord would be there. Look with me at verse number 13. I I want to... Read this verse, and it may seem like an odd interpretation or understanding of this verse. But I believe if we know the heart of Paul in even the least degree, I believe we can draw this conclusion. He says in verse number 13, "...the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments." Then you say, Preacher, what's the significance of that? Well, I believe that the significance is this. Paul is in a prison cell and he's not properly clothed. Would that discourage you? That would discourage me, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd be a little discouraged and disconcerted over the fact that I didn't have proper clothing, that my physical comfort was hindered and impaired. But to go even a step further, when Paul says the books and the parchments, what we assume that he means, and I think correctly so, is that he's speaking of copies of the Word of God of the Old Testament. So not only is Paul in a situation where he's incarcerated for his testimony for Jesus Christ, not only is he in a place of physical discomfort, and by the way, if you don't think that physical discomfort can bring depression, you've not been around the sick very long. I tell people often that any time there is a physical ailment, there's a spiritual battle that comes with it. And I promise you, you get sick enough, you'll find that depression lurks around the corner. And then to beat it all, Paul is locked away without the precious Word of God, his very spiritual food. I tend to believe that Paul asked for these things because he needed and wanted these things. And I believe the absence of these things brought a state of discouragement to Paul. Now, when I say discouragement, I don't mean dissatisfaction with Jesus Christ. And don't confuse the two. Because there's times when we know God's on the throne and we know that He loves us, but still our circumstances seem to weight us down. And can I say that in times of discouragement, the Lord is still with us. You may have never been discouraged. You may be made of stone. You may be made of, of, of stainless steel. But my brother, I'm not. And there's been times when I've gotten discouraged. say, Preacher, do you believe that the Lord is pleased with discouragement? No, I don't think the Lord's pleased with discouragement for a number of reasons. But I believe many times it is a reality. I believe many times it is part of the human experience. But Paul had learned something in his journey. I want to read just uh, one verse to you out of the book of Acts chapter 23. And you don't have to turn there. You can if you'd like, but you don't have to. It's just one verse. But Paul has been uh, preaching in Jerusalem. He's finally made the trip that he had longed after for so long. In fact, if you study the life of Paul through the book of Acts, Paul reaches a place where he determines to go to Jerusalem. Now, you can believe what you want. I believe what I want about this. And we'll probably not convince the other one otherwise. But I believe that Paul got out of the will of God during this time in his life. The Lord explicitly told Paul, Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. And he didn't tell him just once or just twice, but several times, the Lord, through several means and methods and channels, made clear to Paul that the will of God for his life was not the city of Jerusalem. But you know what Paul said? And we hear people preach preach this all the time, and it sounds good. I tend to believe that this was a cry of rebellion and obstinance, not a cry of spirituality. But Paul said, "Uh, None of these things move me, neither count I my life so dear. What's he saying? He's telling others and telling the Lord, I'm going to Jerusalem, regardless of how you or anyone else feels about it. Well, Paul finally does reach Jerusalem. And the prophecy that God had given him concerning Jerusalem, the man had taken uh, Paul's uh, cloak, his girdle, and had tied it around Paul's hands and said that the Holy Ghost had testified that as this girdle was around his hands that the officials would do the same thing uh, to Paul in Jerusalem. And sure enough, Paul gets to Jerusalem. He begins preaching in the temple, and they take and arrest Paul. Paul is at a low place, and if you've ever been out of the will of God, you know what kind of a low place it is when you finally reach the hog pen. It's a different kind of low than you experience at other times. When when your self-righteousness has been bankrupt, and when your self-dependence has been shattered, and when there in the pig slop you say to yourself, I'm done. I will arise and go to the Father. That's a different kind of low. And Paul is at that place. They've placed him in the prison because the, 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 the crowd, the angry mob outside, is literally, they were afraid that they would tear Paul limb from limb. And as he sits in prison, the Lord appears to him and says this. Listen to what it says in verse number 11. It says, In the night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul." For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Now you say, preacher, what's the significance of that? I don't believe God says anything for no reason. Do you? I believe when God says something, there's purpose behind it. And the first thing uh, that the Lord says to Paul, He does not say, be not afraid. Now that's said many, 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 many times when the Lord speaks to someone. But the phrase that is used is, As the Lord looks at Paul and says, be of good cheer. Could it be the reason the Lord said that is because Paul wasn't of good cheer? I've said this many times, and I'll say it again. You know, the Lord knows what we need when we need it. He gives us what we need when we need it. You may have never experienced this, but in times of discouragement in my life, you know, there's the perpetual presence of God, and there's the particular presence of God. You say, what do you mean, preacher? The perpetual presence of God is that which is promised and never changing and never wavering. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But there's times when God just gives an extra special touch in your life, makes Himself real to you in a way that you did not anticipate and did not expect and speaks to your heart. I'm not talking about audibly. And if you think I'm talking about audibly, there may have never been a time when the Lord's done this in your life. You say, well, uh, preacher, are you saying that you're more spiritual? No, I'm saying that I've probably been more carnal at times and needed more to hear the voice of God. But in a particular way, the Lord shows up in Paul's life this night as he's in prison. And the Bible says that the Lord stood by him the Lord, that unmovable, unshakable presence in the life of the believer, in a time when Paul was ready to throw it in. And I believe that with my whole heart. I believe Paul was at a place, his own juniper tree, so to speak, where he was ready to give up. I believe Paul was disgusted with himself. I believe that his faith with God was running on empty. I believe he was at a place where he needed God to show up in a mighty way. I heard an evangelist talking one time. He was telling the story of another older evangelist, and uh, this—if you know preachers—this will make you laugh. And he was—he was talking about this old man of God that had been preaching in a meeting, and uh, he had spent hours, hours one day studying. And he had spent hours in the prayer closet and praying and crying out to God. I mean, talking, gripping the horns of the altar, my friend, and shaking heaven. And he got a message from God and he went into the meeting that night and he preached and poured his whole soul out onto that platform and nobody moved. There wasn't a single decision. There wasn't a teary eye in the place. Discouraged, the preacher goes back to his hotel room. He's angry, he's fed up. He takes his Bible and he throws it across the room and he looks up towards heaven and he says, God, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. That preacher came to the conclusion that it wouldn't be right to leave the man that had asked him to come for the meeting, the pastor, in such a terrible spot as that. So he determined that he would finish out the meeting, just go and preach a few thoughts, go home, find a regular job, go to work, turn his back on the ministry. With no preparation, with no prayer, with a heart that was in some ways in rebellion against God, discouraged and fed up, he went into the meeting that night and began to preach, and the glory of God fell, and souls were saved, and hearts were broken, and homes were healed, and God showed up in a mighty way. That old man of God looked at the preacher that was relating it to me and said, there ain't none of us got this thing figured out. (laughs) You know what? The Lord knew that preacher needed a touch from heaven. The Lord knew that preacher needed him to show up in a mighty way. Can I say that God knows your needs and knows the timing of your needs? I could give you instance after instance where God has showed up at the last moment, but at the right moment and showed out in a mighty way and moved in a mighty way. And what does that tell me? That tells me that in the midst of my discouragement, when I thought God wasn't paying attention, the Lord stood with me. You ever wonder how it is that God has such good timing? It's because He's there all the time. <laughs> he knows the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. Why is it that God shows up at the right time? Because He knows what the right time is, and He's aware of what's going on in your life. You know what Paul realized when the Lord spoke to him? And I, I you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if Paul heard the Lord audibly. I do not know. I know that we went not today, but I do not know whether Paul did at this time. But if you can indulge me, I kind of imagine that Paul was sitting there in discouragement, maybe contemplating throwing it in, going back to tent making and giving up on the ministry. And then all of a sudden he hears from heaven, be of good cheer, Paul. (laughs) And I I kind of imagine maybe it startled him. The Lord ever startled you before? Uh, Maybe that's never happened to you. Maybe I'm just dense enough that it's happened to me. But, But the Lord just kind of startled Paul. And you know what Paul realized? Paul realized that unbeknownst to him, the Lord had been there the entire time. The entire time. In the midst of his sufferings, in the midst of his trials, God had been there the entire time. Look with me again in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verse number 14. I want to say in times of desertion and in times of discouragement, the Lord stands with us. But look what it says in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Let Let me give all of us a caution tonight. It's interesting to me that in verse 16, Paul says, My first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. He says, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. But of Alexander the coppersmith, he prays and says, the Lord reward him according to his works. Now, this isn't the message tonight. But can I say that the Lord can tolerate a a coward better than he can a traitor? We better watch what we're doing when we set our hand against the work of God. And I say that as a pastor. I say that uh, not in a judgmental sense, and there's no uh, instance that has occasioned that statement other than the Word of God as it sits before us. But I believe it's worth noting, Paul spoke of himself laying waste to the church. And he said that he was the chiefest of sinners, that he was the least of the apostles, and not meet to be called an apostle because he had laid waste to the church. We can lift our hands against a lot of things. But when we start to try to destroy the church, we better watch ourselves. That's a good way to anger and rile a holy God. The Lord prays concerning Alexander and says, reward him. Now, you may not know who Alexander is, and there could be some uh, dispute concerning him and some debate. I'll tell you what I believe. When you read concerning the life of Simon the Cyrenian that bore the cross of Christ, you find that he had two sons, one named Alexander and one named Rufus. If you read in Paul's epistle, I believe it's to the Romans, Paul speaks of Rufus as being a, a beloved brother. But if Alexander were told here, the coppersmith, that he had done Paul much evil, he had hurt Paul, could I say that in times of discord, the Lord is with us. You know, there's going to be times when there's going to be people hurt you on purpose. There's going to be times when there's going to be people go out of their way to hurt you. And there's going to be times people are going to hurt you unintentionally. There'll be times they'll hurt you slightly. There'll be times they'll hurt you deeply. What do we do when we're hurt like that? There's a lot of different responses. There's some people that respond to hurt by fleeing. There's are some people that respond to hurt by fighting. There are some people that respond to hurt by frustration and by discouragement. How did Paul respond to someone hurting him? Can I say that there's two things that he did? Notice first off what he says in verse number 14. He says, the Lord reward him according to his works. You know what Paul did? He trusted the Lord with vengeance. Can I say that the Bible still says, Vengeance belongeth unto the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And it's not our jobs to try to hurt those that have hurt us. That does not mean that every hill will not be laid flat and every crooked way will not be made straight because the Word of God promises that it will. It's just not our responsibility to do it. But I want you to notice the other thing that he did. He found the presence of God to be more real in the midst of his hurt and of his pain. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. You'll find that the Lord will never hurt you. Let me say that again. I don't think that's soaked in. You'll find the Lord will never hurt you. You'll find the Lord will never hurt you. People will. Spouses will, children will, family will, friends will, church family will. And one of the first keys to being faithful, listen carefully, one of the first keys to being faithful to God's house is learning how to see people with compassion instead of contention. You know that when we start to realize, when people hurt us, you know what our knee-jerk reaction is? Listen carefully. Our knee-jerk reaction is to hurt them back or do something that will cause hurt in an inadvertent way. But do you know the attitude that the believer ought to take? Their attitude ought to be this. You know, the reason that they hurt those that are serving God is because they're not. Their hurting is hurting their relationship with the Lord. That's why we ought to pray for them. We've misinformed people sometimes when we say, pray for your enemies and the Lord will heap coals of fire on their head. The Bible does teach that. But that doesn't mean we pray to the Lord so that the Lord will do that. You know what your prayer ought to be to your worst enemy? Your prayer for them ought to be that they'd be saved by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That God would make a brother out of an enemy. That God would make a sister out of an enemy. Not that God would destroy them in His wrath. Hey, listen, you deserve to be destroyed in God's wrath, and I deserve to be destroyed in God's wrath. It was just grace that bought us and sought us and paid for us. It was just grace. And we should learn to pity those that hurt us and pray for those that hurt us instead of seeking an opportunity to hurt them back. All that's going to do is affect your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's been said before concerning bitterness that it's, it's a poison. way. It's us drinking poison hoping the other person will die. And we need to be very careful, and I, this isn't my message, but I, I want to mind the Holy Ghost now. We better be careful about this monster of bitterness. It's a root of bitterness springing up. Let me tell you, there, there could be people in this place, and I don't know a single person's heart, and I don't know a single person's circumstance. You just chalk this up to the Holy Ghost, because I have no clue why the Lord's having me say this. But there could be people in this very room struggling with bitterness, and you'd never know it. It's a root of bitterness. One day it springs up and many are defiled. But it starts off as a root. It could be that someone that shake our very hand has a bitterness problem with us. And it could be that the very people that we'd shake hands with, we'd search our hearts, we'd find there's bitterness towards them. Let me tell you something, neighbor. At the end of the day, there ain't a single person that's ever done you worse than you did Jesus Christ. He loved you and forgave you we've got to learn how to love and forgive people. We owe that to Jesus Christ if we don't owe it to them. We're to love others even as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. In times of dissension and discord, the Lord stands with us. I don't care who's hurt you. The Lord stood by you. This preacher may have hurt you at times. Can I say that it's easy as a preacher sometimes to hurt people's feelings, not even intend on it? I mean, you don't even intend on it, but sometimes it just happens. And as a church member, it's easy to hurt people's feelings. You don't even intend on it. But can I say, it doesn't matter who's hurt you. It doesn't matter who's turned their back on you. It doesn't matter who's betrayed you or forsaken you. God in heaven has stood with you. He has, He is, and He will in times of discord. I want to give you a final thought. Look again at verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I want to ask you something. Do you think Paul expected that to happen? Answer that in your heart. Do you think Paul expected that to happen? Do you think Paul expected for no man to stand with him? I don't suppose he did. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been expecting something and you wanted something and hoped for something and it didn't happen? That ever happened to you? What do we call that feeling? I say, in times of disappointment, the Lord stands with you. I wish I could say that we'll never get disappointed. And if all you want in life is Jesus Christ, you'll never be disappointed with Him. But the truth of the matter is, most of us have ambitions that though you cannot have a higher ambition than Jesus Christ, we have lateral ambitions. (laughs) We have other things that we want and desire out of life. And I don't think that's wrong as long as we stay satisfied with Jesus Christ. But in those times of disappointment, man, I could go through passage after passage after passage and show you men whose lives were characterized at one point or another by disappointment. Let me give you one, and then we'll close. If you were to read in the book of Acts, Stephen's account concerning the leading of the children of Israel out of Egypt, you'd find a fact that's really not spoken of very much concerning Moses' life. Whenever you study Moses' life, I think we all kind of tend to have a universal opinion because of what we've been taught in Sunday schools growing up. I mean, my goodness, flannel graph has molded more minds than anything in the world, you know. And uh, we've learned a lot of things in Sunday school. And we tend to believe, listen carefully, we tend to believe that when Moses, as a young man in Egypt, took and slew that Egyptian guard, we tend to believe that he did that as a expression of his flesh and of anger. But do you know that the book of Acts says that the reason Moses did that was because he expected the children of Israel to fall in tow and to follow him then and there out of Egypt. The Bible says that when the the next day the contention was taking place between the two Hebrew servants and Moses stepped in and tried to be a mediator betwixt the two of them, And the man turned and looked at Moses and said, Are you going to slay me like you slew the Egyptian yesterday? The Bible says in the book of Acts that uh, Moses did not understand, wist not, knew not that his brethren would not understand how that by his hand, God would lead them out of Egypt. Now put yourself in Moses' shoes. You know, God's plan rarely lines up with ours. Moses probably looked at the leading of the children of Israel out of Egypt. And evidently, if at this young stage in his life, he was aware that that was uh, the destiny of God's will for his life, then Moses was expecting it to happen. And I don't know about you, but Moses probably had put some thought into it. And let let me just venture into the imaginative for a moment, and let me play Moses, and let me just say that if I was Moses, I would be thinking, Lord, surely you're going to use my prominence in Egypt to lead the children of Israel out. Lord, surely this is the time because I'm rich, I'm prominent, I'm powerful. I have the wisdom of Egypt. I have the favor of the uh, Pharaoh. I have all these various things. Lord, surely now is the time which you're going to use to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. But we find that Moses spends the next 40 years of his life on the backside of the desert as a shepherd tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. You see, Moses could see certain places and things in his life concerning God's will. Much like if you were to read any of the Clarence Larkin books, he has an illustration concerning prophecy in which he shows a man standing and looking across several mountain peaks, and he shows the mountain peaks of prophecy. The Old Testament prophets could see prominently certain events in prophetic elements but they could not see other things. They got only a partial glimpse and a partial picture, and so that was why they crucified the Savior when He came. They they saw Him crowned, but they didn't see Him crowned with a crown of thorns. And much like this, Moses saw certain elements of the will of God for his life. And he began in his own energy to try to see the will of God accomplished rather than following God on a daily basis. Now, this is what I'm saying. I bet you it was a little disappointing to Moses to sit on the backside of the desert and tend to his father-in-law's sheep. We could sit here and and all evening talk about the benefits of that 40-year period, but I don't want to do that. I just want to say that there came a day when Moses was walking along the backside of the desert. And when he saw afar off a bush that was burning with fire but was not consumed, and the Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 that he turned aside to see this great thing that the bush burnt with fire, but was not consumed. And as he came close unto the bush, he heard a voice that said, Moses, Moses, remove thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And you know what Moses became to realize? He realized he is in the presence of God. wonder why God picked that bush instead of another one. Well, the Lord picked that bush because that's where Moses was at. Reckon and wonder how God knew where Moses was at. God knew where Moses was at because God had never left Moses. Moses had turned his back on the Lord, but the Lord had never turned his back on Moses. Funny thing, when we get out of the will of God, we don't have to make any longer of a journey than just to turn around to find it again. Because though we may have turned our back on the Lord, He's still right there behind us. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know your experiences. Truth of the matter is, most of the difficult things in life that those that we love go through, we don't know anything about. Would you say that's true? Wouldn't you say that the greatest difficulties we experience, we hide away to ourselves? Sometimes so we don't burden others. Sometimes so we're not embarrassed by the display of our frailty. But for whatever reason, we don't make others aware of those difficulties, of those discouragement, of that depression, of the dissension, of the discord, of the desertion that we feel. We we don't share it with them. And there might be some in this room that are going through things that their church family could never even imagine, let alone understand. And so I speak to you tonight. And I say that though every man may have deserted you, the Lord stands with you. Though there may be some that have discouraged you or your circumstances, may the Lord stands with you. Though there may be some that have hurt you and damaged you, the Lord stands with you. And though you may even be a little disappointed with where your life is right now, the Lord stands with you. Maybe you've turned your back on Him. Here in a few moments as we go to an invitation, why don't you turn around? Find Him at an altar. Call on His name. Get the, get the touch from heaven that you need from Him and let Him give you the encouragement that you need.